93% of your life is spent indoors, but so many of our favorite moments are outdoors. The fresh air, the feeling of peace. Since warmer weather is almost here, let's make the most of it with Outer, the new outdoor furniture company with purposely designed furniture to get you outdoors more. Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture, all from sustainable materials. I love the new outdoor dining table and chairs I just bought. It looks great in my backyard, and it's the perfect setup for hosting a dinner party. Go to liveouter.com slash thefounderhour to see all the incredible products they have to offer. For a limited time, get 10% off and free shipping. That's liveouter.com slash thefounderhour. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everyone. Before we get into the episode, just a quick reminder. If you enjoy what you hear, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you get notified when new episodes drop. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, at thefounderhour. Let's get into it. Our guest today is Bob Parsons, founder of GoDaddy, the world's largest domain name registrar. He's a U.S. Marine Corps Vietnam War veteran and recipient of prestigious military honors, including the Purple Heart Medal. Bob's entrepreneurial ventures span golf, motorcycles, real estate, marketing, and innovation. His passion for golf led to the creation of Parsons Extreme Golf, also known as PXG, in 2013. Alongside his wife, Renee, Bob founded the Bob and Renee Parsons Foundation, donating an average of $1 million every 14 days to underfunded causes. Please enjoy our conversation with Bob Parsons. Bob, thanks for being with us. We like to start it off like we do every single podcast. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about your early days? Well, I was, I was born at an early age, I can tell you that. Um, and um, my first business was, as, as uh, many, many kids, was, was a lemonade stand, and it was a total disaster. I think I was about eight years old. I was out in, uh, in Baltimore, and uh, I mean, it was one of those days in August where so hot you see the steam coming off the, off, off the asphalt. And um, I, I went ahead, and uh, my mother had this jar of real lemon in the refrigerator, and I used that, and I used sugar and water, and made the made the lemonade, and and it never quite tasted right to me. Mm. So I kept adding more sugar and more sugar and more sugar, and still had kind of an off taste. And I, I remember thinking maybe that's the way it's supposed to taste. So. <clears throat> I go ahead and set this this stand up outside. I got this big pitcher of lemonade with like the sweat on the outside. It may look just delicious. So my, my first first guy that I sold it to was this insurance man. His name was Mr. Hill. And back then insurance agents walked debit routes. So he had a little pork pie hat on, his ties loosened, he's carrying his coat, and he comes up to me and he sees this lemonade and um so anyhow, he takes and he gives me, a, was, I was charging a nickel for a cup. He gave me a dime, told me to keep the change. And he goes, man, I really need this. So I poured him, poured him a, a cup of it. He took a big drink. I remember his eyes bulged and he spit it out in the street. And he goes, kid, that's the worst fucking lemonade I've ever tasted in my life. <laughs> and so... I sold it. I sold it to a number of people. Everybody demanded their money back, and uh, so it was another failure. That was so the end of that. What happened was when my mother came back and she asked 
you know, I was I was home by myself, which how most disasters happen. You know, I, I you know, my mother came back and she said, you know, you know, you know, how the hell did you make the lemonade after I told her nobody liked it? And I told her I used the real lemon that she had in the in the refrigerator. She said, I keep vinegar in that bottle. Oh man. God. <laughs> so I made I made vinegar aid. So 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 my, my first business uh was an utter failure. I mean, we made it right and no no by then the word gotten around. Nobody, nobody would even come within about ten feet of my lemonade stand. <laughs> do not do not go to Bob's lemonade stand. <laughs> no, no. So 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 anyhow. That's, 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 that's my early years. And now I don't know if you were talking about that early. No, but I, I wasn't, but I'll take that story. Uh, more, more specifically, where were you born? Talk to us about your parents. Well, I was, I was born in, uh, uh, Baltimore, South Baltimore to be exact. And my, uh, my parents, uh, were both, uh, gamblers you know, with my dad, it was it was the dog track. I mean, not the dog track. It was it was horses, mm-hmm. and uh, mom, it was uh, it, it was bingo and and numbers and that sort of thing. Neither one of them very good at it, so we were always kind of broke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so I learned very early that if if I needed any money, I had to make it myself. I had all kinds of different jobs, you know, t- typical jobs that a kid has, you know, delivering newspapers, uh, working at a filling station on a midnight shift, construction work, that sort of thing. And um, that's, you know, that's the way it went. I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old, back in 1968. Um, we joined, me and my buddy joined in August and and uh, by when 1969 rolled around, we were both carrying rifles in, in Vietnam. And so, I mean, you know, that's my, you know, my, my early, early days. And then later on, I, um, after, after coming home from that nasty ass war, I, uh, I went to college and uh, I worked in a steel mill for a year as a laborer. And then I went to college and uh, I studied accounting mostly because it was the first major in the book. And, um, I, you know, like when I was when I was a kid in school, I failed the fifth grade. I was terrible. I mean, acting, you know, just terrible. And uh, every year was a photo finish for me when I came back from the war and the Marine Corps, uh, magna cum laude. And uh, so so anyhow, things things were very different after and then I taught myself to program a computer, and um, things just went well. Went went well for me, but I but I had to work my ass off. I started my first business with shrink wrap software back in 1984. Lost all my money the first number of years, which is typical for any startup. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I eventually I eventually had. Forty thousand in the business, sold it for sixty-four million. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a second. I'm curious though. You're wearing a U.S. Marine, Marine shirt, and I just want to kind of talk about that time. You know, first of all, what compelled you to want to join the Marines, and what what were some of the biggest takeaways like during your time there? Well, when I joined the Marine Corps, I was I was uh, I was seventeen. I was a senior in high school, 
And uh, I had two buddies at gym came by um, uh, my, my locker, you know, one, one, one day, and they said, hey, Bob, we're going to go down and talk to the Marine Corps recruiter. You want to go with us? And I did. And, uh, you know, they joined, and I, I joined with them. I mean, and, uh, you know, they both were 18, so their parents didn't have to sign. My mother had to sign, so, you know, I had talked to her a lot. And, uh, she, you know, she, she eventually relented. And um, there you go. Now, um, you know, the reason, the reason I did it just sounded like a fun thing to do. Uh, that I completely misread the situation. And um, uh, what I took away from it was, you know, when I, when I came back from the war, I was a different guy. Uh, I, the, the, the Marine Corps taught me uh, the importance of discipline. And I, I had had no discipline in my life up to that point. Not, not discipline in the form of punishment, although there was plenty of that, but discipline in that if you had something to do, you had to have the backbone to see it through. And um, you didn't have to like it. You didn't have to want to do it, but you had to do it. The importance of responsibility. Uh, they, they, they taught me that uh, um, I had a right to be proud and that I could accomplish far more than I, I believed I could. And they were all incredibly important things for me because when I went into the Marine Corps, I had none of that. Uh, so, you know, I can, I can tell you that everything I've ever accomplished, I owe to the United States Marines. Um, I read that you had been wounded in war and had to spend several months in the hospital. Was that a time that you felt like, what did you feel, I guess, at that time? I mean, did you feel like you're, your life was like going to take a turn? Well, you know, I had, uh, Patrick, I had, I had no idea. I had no idea. You know, I, I, I remember, uh, uh, when I, when I got wounded, it was, it was after I was in combat, you know, for a month and I, you know, I, I got there, I seen my first combat. I, I wasn't with the, the squad five hours and, uh, you know, and, and, and bullets were flying, uh, guy was hurt horrifically that night. And I mean, and it, it just, just focused me completely. Mm. I, I, I remember thinking that, um, for sure I would die over there. And I made myself two promises. My first promise was that I would do until, until, uh, you know, the day came when, uh, I met my maker, I would, um, do my whatever I could to do a good job being a United States Marine and not to let down the guy on my left and my right and the rest of the guys in the squad. And then the other thing is that I, I wanted to be alive for mail call. I do whatever I could to be alive for mail call the next day. I never looked into the future more than a day. And uh, I mean, that got, that got me through that, that time I was in the bush and, and the rest of the time I was in the military. And I, I, I can tell you, I've, I've used that in all my businesses since then, you know, one day at a time, just one day at a time, try to be busy, try to be busier. I mean, not, not, not busier, a little better, you know, after, after that one day than I was, 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 you know, the day before. And, uh, man, I mean, it's, it's a powerful thing. How does one day at a time and 
building a business that's a business that you'd ideally like to build in the future? How do, how do those two coincide? Because I hear you, you know, one day at a time is the right mentality for a founder, an executive, et cetera, et cetera. But also for a business, it's not one day at a time, right? You're building towards the future. You're building a product that ideally will last beyond one day at a time. So how do you meld those two mindsets together? Well, to me, you know, I, I really don't look too far into the future. Uh, one of the things I've learned is, is that um, uh, the number one thing that determines how successful you're going to be is how you think. You know that old saying, how you think, so shall you be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that could not be more true than it is in business. But, you know, you, you have to be in a position where, where you can, you know, you can get your head around it, where, where, where you, can, you can deal with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, one day at a time is, 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 is that's it. I mean, that, that is the absolute best way. Uh, so when things aren't going good and, you know, you don't know how you're going to get through it, you know, just get through today. And, um, and I, I, I know a lot of people think, well, I got to look way into the future. I never do. I never do. You know, you know, there's, there's another old saying that is, um, um, well, you know, worry, worry belongs to tomorrow. Regret belongs to yesterday. Happiness is here and now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to spend my time in a present moment. And and look at uh, what we're dealing with at the time, and um, yeah, that served me well. Yeah, you talk about coming back and getting your accounting degree, and then ultimately, um, you know, starting this business. I'm uh, Parsons Technology, right? Was the business, and you're selling um, shrink wrapped accounting software. Why did you decide, you know, after getting your accounting degree, to not go down sort of a traditional accounting path and actually start your own business selling accounting software? Well. You know, that's that that's what I did. Actually, actually you know, I uh, uh, eventually I taught myself how to program a computer, and and I got good at it because I loved it. You know, I would uh, uh, I had this little Apple II C at first, and you know, like uh, whenever I wanted it to do anything, what I would do is uh, I'd write the I'd write the code. And I'd study the internals and that sort of thing. And then when I, when uh, IBM came out in 1980, you know, I bought an IBM PC and did, did the same thing. And what happened was I got really good at it. So I loved doing that. And, and I remember my father taught me, you know, he told me, he said, you know, when you love something, it tells you all its secrets. And, um, you know, you know, because it makes sense. You, you work harder at it. You know, you do it because you enjoy it and you learn things that you never would otherwise, because if you're just doing it to turn a buck, you're not going to put the time in. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and, and you're just not going to be focused the way you are when you love doing it. So, um, so I, I did that and um, I, I wrote a, a program that I called money counts that uh, was a uh, was actually a double entry system for uh, for uh, home accounting, but it also was pretty slick to use for any business. I mean, I used it for 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 my business, and uh, 
did all the accounting for it, and it was just fine. Um, and so, I mean, so, so anyhow, all this stuff when it came together, I mean, you know, that that gave me a, I, I thought, you know, big advantage. You know, the other thing that I did is when I first started um, Parsons Technology. Now, you heard this, you heard this old saying, you know, it's better to work. Uh, smart than it is to work hard. Yep. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you: working smart is bullshit, right? The people, the people that work say, "Well, you know, I work smart." It, you know, if you look into what they're doing, they're probably working uh, for somebody that works hard. That that that, that would be my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I I worked hard, and you know, when when I started. Uh, you know, writing software seriously, you know, I had already finished Money Counts and I was working hard to get a tax software, a 1040 program ready for uh, the beginning, you know, uh, in Feb- February, February. And I, w- I would come to work and I, I would work 60 hours straight. And I mean, I would would never worry about the time. If I worried about the time, it was only about oh my god, how much time do I have left? <laughs> and and the reason I only work I worked sixty hours. I mean, I'd worked I'd have worked one hundred fifty hours. But the problem is, right at around sixty hours, I learned I start to hallucinate <laughs> if I don't have any sleep. I mean, I, I I hear things that didn't happen. I see things that aren't there, that sort of thing. So I had to get my ass back home and in bed yep. and, and you know, go to sleep for a while mm-hmm. and then get up and go for a little quick run around a high school track, shower and get to work and do it again. Mm-hmm. Now, had I not done that, I'd have never had that piece of software. And I mean, for the most part, we parts of technology would have never been successful. Yep. And and I think you ran it for like a decade or so, right? Until you sold it to Intuit for, you said, $64 million? Yeah, I did. Did you feel, how did you feel at that point? I mean, did you feel like you were on top of the world? I mean, you just sold this business for a lot of money uh, at the time, uh, even well, now. This, this, this was in 1994. And uh, uh, keep in mind, I, I, I grew up with nothing. I mm. mean, with, with less than nothing. And uh, so... You know, when I when I sold Parsons Technology for sixty four million, I thought that was an incredible stack of cash. And uh, boy, yeah, yeah, I did. I felt great. I what did you do? What was the first thing you did after that? Uh, first thing I did, you know, you know, I, I I don't remember. I I think I sat down because right after that, my wife told me she wanted a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that that about buckled me at my knees. So you know, I you know, okay, and you know, she she had done been a marvelous wife up up to that point, and you know, she always supported me whatever I did. So uh, we took whatever we had and split it down the middle. And what I did, I was in Iowa, and I moved to I moved to. Uh, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, where I still am today, mm-hmm. and uh, started playing golf. So she waited for that that wire to hit, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, she did. But uh, you know, it's just that's just the way it worked out back then. 
I had PTSD from the war to beat the beat the band. And uh, the amazing thing is she stayed married to me for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And finally, finally, at that point, you know, it was like a prize fight when one fighter's beating the other one silly. You know, you get the ref jumps in the middle and puts his hands up and he goes, enough. Yep. Well, that's what she had. She had enough. Yeah. Bob, you're, you're, you're obviously very self-aware of that. Did you uh, deal with that at all? prior to the divorce or was that something that you worked PTSD specifically that we're talking about? Did you work on after? Well, much after. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And, you know, back then, you know, when we, we came home from, from uh, the Vietnam war, you didn't, we didn't talk about PTSD. Sure. Um, You know, and, you know, you heard things like shell shock and, you know, war neurosis and that sort of thing. But, I mean, for me, I always thought, Christ, I was in combat for one month. That was it. I shouldn't have PTSD. You know, it's it's just, it's, I, I shouldn't. But I did. And I had it had it to beat the band. And, and you, know, you know, without getting off the track too much, PTSD, one of the crazy things is, is that the human brain, one of the things it does is it hides... Um, uh, the imperfections it has uh, from the person that it's within. And so, you, you know, I never even thought that I was uh, uh, off tilt, but, but brother, I was. Yeah. So, and, then, and then it cost me a second marriage. And then my third wife, I mean, she hung in there and she got me treated. You talk about having these long days and hours at the office or just like working. Did that have a big effect at all? And, and do you think it's possible? I mean, is it possible to really be in the weeds building a business from nothing, but also have a very healthy, happy relationship at home? I mean, how do you balance that? Well, you know, it, I, I think it depends on who you're married to mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and, 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 and and what you what you see in each other, mm-hmm. I can tell you when I was working like that, um, my wife was 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 a big supporter, mm-hmm. and and she was as interested in me getting that ten forty program done as I was. <laughs> <laughs> so if if I could have if she could have had me work eighty hours, she'd have probably done it. <laughs> yep. Everyone's <laughs> thinking about that exit strategy. <laughs> well. <laughs> Now we, we you weren't because we were you were looking at it one day at a time, but her different yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hear you. But we yeah. were thinking about notifying our customers yeah. that, that we had this uh, tax product. You know, when it comes to legal help, I'm tired of hidden fees and complex billing structures. Isn't there a better way? Well, that's exactly what decrypted law offers. They're pioneers in transparent flat fee pricing for startups. And guess what? They even have a subscription service for fractionalized general counsel. Subscription service for a law firm? That's right. Decrypted Law is revolutionizing the way legal services are consumed. For a flat monthly fee, startups can now have access to top-tier on-demand legal counsel. Wow, that's a game changer. No more bill shock, just clear, predictable costs. Decrypted Law, they're not just breaking down legal complexities, they're making legal services more accessible. Learn more and contact them at decryptedlaw.com. Mention the founder of our podcast so they know who sent you.
Love soda? Listen up. Introducing Olipop, a new kind of soda that's actually good for you. It's the fastest growing beverage brand in America, and here's why you'll love it too. Gut health matters, and Olipop has your back. Two out of three Americans suffer from digestive issues, and Olipop tackles that with a soda that tastes amazing. With nine grams of prebiotics in every can, it's the gut-friendly choice you've been waiting for. Now let's talk flavors. Vintage Cola, Classic Root Beer, my favorite, Orange Squeeze, Classic Grape, and more. It takes me back to those childhood days. And guess what? Olipop has way less sugar than traditional sodas. Vintage Cola only has 2 grams of sugar compared to the 39 grams of sugar in a regular Coca-Cola. Pretty impressive, huh? But it doesn't stop there. Olipop's drinks are non-GMO, vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly, with less than 8 grams of net carbs per can. They've got something for everyone. Ready to give Olipop a try? The Founder Hour listeners can get 20% off their next order with the code FOUNDER20, F-O-U-N-D-E-R-20. Head to their website, www.drinkolipop.com, or find Olipop in over 22,000 stores nationwide. So you, you, you sell the company, you're golfing, you're hanging out. And then I think it was a few years later when you started GoDaddy, right? What, what happened? Why did you decide I'm going to do this all over again? And why, why GoDaddy? Well, the, the reason I started GoDaddy is, uh, a matter of fact, when I started it, um, all I had, I had money and no ideas, very dangerous combination. And, uh, the uh, thing thing that that I needed is is you know I needed people that that you know could really help me do what I was doing, and and uh, and what that was is we were I, my idea was well we'll try a number of things, and eventually uh, if we'll find something that works, mm-hmm. and then that's that's what we'll do. So we did all sorts of different things. And nothing, nothing worked. But the one thing that had some promise was doing websites back then. And, and this, this was back in, in 97, 98, 99. And, um, so, so we, you know, we're, we're, we're doing, uh, websites, but the problem with that is when, you know, working with uh, websites, it didn't scale. I mean, you know, here here we are doing these websites, and the um, business that we can write is limited to what we can physically do. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the beautiful things about software is, you know, you can have, you know, you, if your system's set up right, that can sell it for you. I mean, you can you can make you make knock down some cash while you're married, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know that that works. Uh, but with uh, um, just doing websites, you know, it didn't work. So what we did was in 97, we, we started writing uh, a program that would let a user do their own website. And we called it Website Complete. It eventually morphed into something called Website Tonight. And I, I don't know what it's called now. I, I go daddy. But it's basically the same, the same program. Um, and, um, uh, that is, is what helped the company, uh, you know, 
be successful. Now, after after we did the you know the 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 website software, we launched it, and this is back during the dot com boom. I mean, there was like zero sales. I mean. I mean, we might have sold six of them, mm-hmm. and I mean, we're selling them for twenty nine dollars. Well, I'm going to tell you, didn't pay the overhead. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we went through some changes. You know, we sh- shut down our big office and we moved to uh, a little ranch house, and you know, stuff like that. And um, so, the thing that made it is we got this idea where one of our one of our coders got him, Rich Murdinger. Um, he, he, he filled out the application to become a domain name registrar. And so we followed through on that with the idea that if we became a domain name registrar, um, people would come in to buy our domain, buy domain names from us and then buy our other software. The idea was as right as, mm-hmm. as right as rain. And, uh, so, uh, that, that 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 was back in, I think, uh, you know, you know, right around 2000, 2000, 2001. But anyhow, up to that point, keep in mind, I've got about thirty eight million dollars, and I'm uh, and I'm and I'm funding I'm funding this business uh, that uh, was called actually it was called Joe Max Technologies. I named it after a dirt road that I, I passed on the way to work. <laughs> and, um, and Bob, then, at the uh, time, was anybody else doing the dom- domain name registrar stuff? Or oh, this that, was like- that was a lot of companies were doing it, and and we were we were told that uh, uh, the companies that that were were doing it that you, you know you know that equation had been solved, and that the last thing we wanted to do was get into it and compete with them. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we noticed about those companies is, is their websites were not that great. Their systems were, were a bitch. I mean, it'd be hard to, you know, really find what you wanted. Uh, they were, they were put together by, by engineers. Their policies were terrible. Their mm-hmm. prices were high. You know, everything you can think of as right. being wrong. I mean, was wrong. And so we thought, well, you know, if we did this differently, and we have competitive prices and and and, and fair customer policies and so forth. Uh, you know, we pro- you know we we probably sell some of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we 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 go ahead and and you know get to become a, a domain name registrar, and that took us uh, oh, about a year and a million bucks, and in in ninety uh, seven. I think we we became a domain name registrar. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was ninety nine. I mean, it, you know, it's a blur these days, guys. Yeah, um, but it's crazy because people are still buying domains the way they used to. I, I, I imagine. I mean, it hasn't changed too much from from as a consumer from what it looks like on from my perspective. Like, and technology is changing constantly, which is crazy. So, why do you think that it has endured? Like, the process of just buying domains hasn't really been. Is disrupted, if you will. Well, the, the reason is first. First of all, I'm, oh, and the other thing we did is we changed the name of the company to GoDaddy. Yeah, how did that happen? Well, you know, we 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 were th- we were thinking, you know, what have we got to do to make this company where you know people want to do business with it? And, um, and one of the things was, you know, people were saying, you know, yeah, well, Joe Max Technology is very forgettable <laughs> name, you know, 
And, you know, you guys need to have a better name. So me and uh, this lady I work with named Barbara Rechterman, we went to work and uh, over a couple of nights to find a better name. And eventually we settled on GoDaddy.com. Hmm. And uh, the day after that, I told the people at the office, I said, we're going to name the company GoDaddy. And they go, man, that's a terrible fucking idea. Right. <laughs> this, that, the other thing. But the name stuck. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so, so there you go. So uh, I've, I've already forgot the other question you asked. Uh, the question was, you know, why do you think that buying domains has kind of remained the same from what it was back then? Well, you, you know, the, because the, the purpose that they serve is exactly the same. You know, I used to look at, you know, buying a, a domain name is your ticket to uh, uh, have a website on a website or certainly your own email address or whatever on the Internet. I mean, that's that's the purpose that a domain name does, unless you're buying it just as a speculator. Um, so uh, it, it, uh, it's pretty slick. And then what GoDaddy did, when GoDaddy got involved with all this, we democratized the Internet. I mean, we, we got, I mean, we sold millions of domain names, got a lot of people involved in the Internet that probably never would have. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, you know, we did that. You know, I, I, I didn't exactly write the first browser, but, uh, brother, I moved a lot of goddamn domain names. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob, I have a quick question about the domain name stuff because I'm not very well versed at it. But, you know, as someone who owns a few domain names, obviously the founderhour.com being one of the ones that we own, um, who really does own the domain? Because I'm paying you you know, my $9 or $15 a year and whatever to renew the domain name. Who Uh is there an organization? Is there a registry? I mean, database, like who really owns this shit? Like once it's actually in use. Okay. It, 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 it it would be, uh, the internet corporation for assigned names and numbers. They manage it. I mean, and I can, yeah, yeah. You might say they run the, you know, like if if this was Vegas, they run the table. Right, right, right. Um, Yeah. So, so the domain uh, cartel, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, with, without, yeah, without a domain, yeah, you can't exactly. do anything. Now, a way to look at a domain name is, you know, you see these vanity license plates yep. that, uh, you know, some certain people have, mm-hmm. well, you know, you say, well, well, who owns that name? Well, nobody owns it, but what they do is they purchase the right to use it from the state right. as long as they use it properly and they they pay the the license fee. Yeah, it's more like domain a license. Names, domain yeah. names are the same way. Got it. Got it. I hope you have Parsons uh vanity license plate. Seven seven letters. Do I have it? Yeah. Do you? I, I'm saying I hope you do. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> you know you know you know why? I, I don't want to be that easy to spot. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. Um so you end up I mean you end up running the company until what, two thousand eleven or so? Yeah, 20, 2011, and then I did the deal with um, uh, three private equity firms, uh, KKR, mm-hmm. uh, Silver Lake, and um, TCV. Yeah. Uh, TCV had a small part, and uh, uh, Silver Lake and KKR had a big part like I did. And what I did was I sold um, uh, 71% of the company, 
kept 29%. Uh, and, and in selling 71%, I created a staff that worked for me, 36 millionaires. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, one, one, one person actually, you know, eventually wound up with about 200 million. Wow. And you had, you had to resign um, as CEO as part of that, right? I did. Mm-hmm. I resigned as CEO and I, and I became a uh, uh, chairman for a while until they went public. And then I, I, I then, uh, because, you know, I'm not the kind of guy you want as a public, you know, uh, as a chairman for a public company. Why not? Brother, I, you know, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just not <laughs> and polished, you know? Got it. Uh, so, so I became a lowly board member until <laughs> the time when when I, I I sold the balance of my stock, and it was Astilago. Uh, uh, yeah. So so <laughs> so now you have a lot more money. Um. And do you have other ideas? Because I knew you know you ended up uh, doing other things after that. But what was the plan once once you walked away? Um. You know, once you stepped down from the the board as chairman. Well, I I got into a bunch of low tech business. And I've been I've been doing that since, you know. I own a um, uh, bought a golf course, mm-hmm. uh, Scottsdale National, which is like the dream, by the way, for me to own a golf course. Well, yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of and, and many nights that that dream is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can imagine. I can only imagine. yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, ov- overall, I love I love I love owning it. And so, so we owned Scottsdale National, and it has uh, forty-five holes, and we have a total of, I think, one hundred and fifty members. Usually, nobody's on the course, <laughs> nobody in front of you or back of you. So it's pretty nice. Place. Sounds like a dream. Sounds like a dream. And then, and then I own a golf club company, PXG. We make, uh, and I'll t- I'll tell you right now, we make the world's finest golf clubs. Uh, everything we do is off the uh, charts. Our apparel's the finest, and finest of any company. And all, all you got to do is go try one, try a shirt on or something, and you see that. And our clubs, all you got to do is hit one. Yep. Um, so, so those those are uh, two of the things we do. Um, I have uh, seven motorcycle multi-line dealerships. Uh, and the only one that's not multi-line is a Harley Davidson dealership, Harley Davidson of Scottsdale, who is um, uh, located in uh, well, it's located in Scottsdale, but the building is uh, 150,000 square feet. And I and I've got to tell you, we move a lot of motor, a lot of Harleys. Mm. Um, and uh, so so we got all those. Uh, we have a hedge fund where I'm the only investor. Uh, we have um, a number of um, uh, shopping centers in the valley. I think we own 17 shopping centers around uh, the valley here in Phoenix, Scottsdale, and um, and that's it's, it's basically what we do. You know, you mentioned PXG, and for for those who don't know, it stands for Parsons Extreme Golf, and it's a very popular brand now. Um, I see it all the time. I see it all the time on television like during the tours i see it on the courses and i'm just it's it's interesting to me that time and time again like you, you know wh- whether it was GoDaddy or pxg like you went into an industry that had many incumbents right like there's plenty of golf brands out there but you end up not only getting in there but building 
a very valuable, popular brand. And so I just kind of want to talk about branding for a second and like what your approach is to that when you're launching something new. How do you go about creating a brand that not only stands out, but and not only competes, but really just like, you know, uh, it becomes like a, a top industry leader? Well, you know, the first thing you get, you, you know, is um, uh, you, you can't do business the way everybody else is doing business that you're going to compete with. You know, one of the things uh, the Marine Corps taught me, certainly in Vietnam, is you, you never run directly into a machine gun. Uh, you, you, you come at it from the, from the sides or in back if, you, you know, if you're able to. Uh, the, the, so so, so, so that, that's, that's the first thing. Uh, and, you know, your business policies that you have have got to resonate so that people want to do business with you. Uh, the products that you have have got to be unique in a certain way. You know, the thing that we decided to do that was unique is we decided to make uh, uh, the finest golf clubs ever made. And I believe our first, our, our, our first golf clubs that we released are, are Gen 1 0311s. Um, I mean, they knocked the market on its ass. I mean, because there had never been anything like that right up to that point. And then, uh, you know, as soon as that was done, Taylor made knocked them off. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I had to deal with them in court. And uh, so, and, and that's, that's the way it is. Uh, you just, and, and so we continue to do business direct. Everybody else is through, through uh, the reseller channel. And the, the other thing uh, that, that we do is, is we don't release our golf clubs until they're significantly better than than what we've released before that. How do you define better? Well, you you yeah, it's you know that's a good question. I actually have some charts on my um, uh, website that define better. You know, better in some cases is are they longer? Did they launch higher? Uh, do they feel like uh, hot butter on a warm biscuit? I mean, you know, did a uh, we like hot butter on a warm biscuit? We do like that. Yeah, what are you? There you go. I knew you like you big cornbread man. There you go. <laughs> there you so, go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and all those characteristics that you look for in a golf club, and then people will ask me sometimes when we release our clubs, they go, "Well, how are they better?" And I usually the answer is in every way, because that's the way we engineer them. And we continue working on them and putting money into them, into the materials and the processes. I mean, we use we use a process nobody would use but us. Uh, to uh, uh, most of our clubs, not all of them, but most of them uh, are hollow bodied, and they have a uh, uh, a filler uh, that is. I think the the one we're using now is called X Core, and that that filler is like. Uh, uh, poly polybutyl, you know the engineers know the term, but um, uh, you know have this filler, and it, it, the filler enables us to to have the thinnest face in golf. Nobody's been able to duplicate the face that we have right now, and I mean when you you hit it, that thing is a little trampoline effect, and off it goes. Now you would think that. Okay, well, because this is the case with these golf clubs, they're not going to be that consistent. 
they're the most consistent in the industry. Yeah. Uh, and especially on miss hits, yeah. you know, people, you know, miss hit the ball and they, you know, they drop their club and so forth. And then they're stunned to see that the ball goes just about where they wanted to go. Anyhow. Yeah. So anyhow, that's PXG. Yeah. You know, we've seen like uh, basketball shoes before be banned by the NBA because it helps the players jump higher or whatnot. Has, has the PGA or like any of the golf organizations, you know, tried to say like, oh, you can't, this, this is like a performance enhancing tool or something. Well, you know, the nice thing about, uh, you know, all the clubs uh, have to be uh, uh, reviewed by the USGA and they're, you know, they're, they're pretty clear about what you have to uh, uh, comply with in order for your clubs to, um, well, to get their blessing. Uh, so that you can play with them in an elite or a professional tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we comply with all that. And, uh, you know, and even though we do that, we still find ways that our clubs are just outperform everything. Bob, I'm curious, you know, you've obviously made a lot of money in your career, um, both through selling two companies that you started. Um, and you talk about this concept that it was almost dangerous to have a lot of money and not have many ideas. Um, I would say that myself and many others that listen to this podcast probably don't have the luxury of having a lot of money and not many ideas. It's usually the flip side uh, where you've got a lot of ideas and perhaps not a lot of money. Um, for those people uh, in that boat with a lot of ideas but not a lot of money, uh, what would you tell them, right? If they if they're looking to start a business and they don't have the luxury of funds and they could just you know say, hey, here you go, I'm going to hire ten engineers and two marketers and get a business up and running. How do they do it? Well, you know, first of all, uh, the less people you hire, the more successful you'll be. I mean, that's for sure because you certainly keep that overhead yep. down. And the the one thing about early on in your business tenure. You know, you always think, well, you know, I'll hire this person. And if they make this much money, they pay for itself. This person never works out that way. All right. And so what does work out is, is you hire the least number of people that you can. And a small staff will always be more effective than a large staff. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you look at uh, companies like Microsoft. I mean, how many people Microsoft have? thousands tens of thousands more than some countries yeah yeah and they and they 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 might have like you know hundreds maybe a thousand working on uh microsoft word and windows and so forth right i mean you know i look at that and i think christ almighty you know what a pain in the ass it is to deal with right Uh, and 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 if they had a, a much smaller staff you know it'd probably probably be a lot better certainly the guy that owns the company doesn't use it or if he does, somebody runs interference for him. But um, and and you know, and all that said, you know, you you would think I hate the company. I love the company, but uh, you know, some of the stuff they do is just a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you need to create like a new word processor because I don't know if that's even been dis- disrupted in the last twenty years. <laughs> Parsons I, Extreme I, I, Processing. I think that's above my pay. <laughs> PXP. PXP. <laughs> Bob, you've had um, you've had so much business success. Um, w- you know, besides the the vinegarade, you know, when you were younger, um, have there been any 
failures, setbacks, anything that you know you've faced that you could kind of share? Well, you know, I went to, I went to business with this uh, a friend and I, a friend of mine named uh, Fat Willie, and okay. and 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 we did, we we made we were making uh, glue boards in Baltimore to catch rats. It was called Sure Catch Rat Traps. And so what we did, we, we used this heavy roofing paper, and then we put this glue in between them that wasn't supposed to set up, but did. And I mean, and, and we had all kind of problems. First, you know, the glue the glue dried much quicker. You couldn't get the two boards apart. And then early on, when you could get the boards apart, apart you know you got somebody said oh my cat got in the glue you know he lost all his hair and i mean and on and on and on. so that was got out of that business quick um <laughs> you, you said you had a lot of business ideas that tr- you tried and failed after selling the first company um or maybe not even failed but just didn't work out but which one of those if you could think back do you still feel like needs to be uh, a business. Well, you know, I, 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 I don't look at it that way, Nasha. I don't, I don't feel that way. You know, I can tell you, um, the one we did find domain names and, and, and websites and then secure certificates and so forth. And what I, what I did was, is I looked at domain names, like somebody's buying a ticket to the ballpark. You know, you go to the ballpark, Man, there's people selling hot dogs, cotton candy. I mean, hats and bats and this and that and banners and you know, you, you know everything. But to get yep. in there, you got to have a ticket. Right. And see, to me, I look at that's what domain names were. Right. And so we sold all sorts of things. You know, we have website software. We had um, uh, secure certificates. You know, we we had e-commerce solutions. Yep. I mean, on and on and on and on. Yep. And yep. Um, that's, I mean, it was, it was a beautiful business. Yeah. Yep. You know, you're obviously a man of many interests, you know, and, and I identify with that. And I'm curious, you know, you, you, you talk about riding motorcycles, you know, I know you hunt, you know, you fly planes. Uh, you have, I think your pilot's license, if I'm not mistaken, scuba diving, golfing, like all these things. How do you, how do you manage to do all these fun things on the side while running businesses? Well, you make time for them, brother. You know, you know the funny thing. You know, if 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 you have fun doing something and you love doing it, somehow you always gonna find a time to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's that's kind of kind of the way it is. The yeah. time just kind of materializes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, by the way, I'm not a pilot. I'm not a pilot. You know, I I I've, I've was flying a helicopter for a while, and um, I uh, was uh, not too far from getting my helicopter license. And then, you know, I realized, you know, I can only screw up here once. (laughs) True. So so I decided to stick to golf. Bob, we once interviewed a man. uh, I don't remember his name, to be honest with you, but he founded a company called Nikola. And he told us that he taught himself to fly a plane. Uh, Do you think that that's possible or not? He's actually now in jail for fraud. So, Um, but what do you think of that? (laughs) <laughs> what am I thinking of? I don't know. You know, you know, he he'd probably like to step out of jail and have a plane waiting for him. <laughs> yeah. Take him down uh, to Costa Rica. Maybe maybe the plane could fly itself and pick him up. <laughs> Who knows? 
<laughs> Who knows? An interesting story. It's a it's a good one. I think you'd enjoy it. It was full of bullshit. You you definitely you definitely get a kick out of it. Um, besides work and golf, uh, what other things in your life uh, are you passionate about, if anything? Um, well, you know, I like um, philanthropy. My wife and I, we uh, these days we move. Um, we move a million dollars to to charity every fourteen days, yeah. and um, that is probably the the most rewarding thing that we do. Is that twenty six million dollars a year? If my math is right, yeah, uh huh. Okay, it is, it is, and uh, man, that's just that's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, and so so we do all sorts of things, but mostly what we do is if you see an organization. It's certainly in the valley here, and the organization is making a difference, but its its cause is not um, is not popular for one reason or another, um, and uh, they they're not able to raise money. That's where you'll find us, mm. you know, because we'll 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 be helping them out. You know, one of the things uh, I mean, you know, some of the stuff is dependent upon how you think. You know, people that are here either undocumented or illegal. Uh, you know, I mean, we we do a lot to help them. God, mm-hmm. I mean, God bless them. You know, uh, some of the stuff they have to deal with just breaks my heart. Yeah. And at the end of the day, particularly their kids. You know, and uh, I mean, this is America. Kid needs help. You should get it. So, so you know, we we do that sort of thing. Uh, you know, we help the LGBTQ plus community. And, uh, you know, there's an organization called One in Ten where kids, uh, when their parents uh, discover the gay, throw them on the street. And then Christ knows what happens to them. Well, this organization finds those kids, gives them a safe place to stay, and teaches them that they're part of the American dream, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, organizations like that, we help. Right. And uh, so, uh, so I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to look at the next, you know, 10, 15 years, I mean, is there something that is maybe like you're itching to do that you haven't done yet that you really would love to do, you know, or pursue? Well, the thing I'm most interested in is staying alive, Patrick. Nice. Um, so, and, and that's definitely over the next 15 years. Now, right now, I'm 72, and I'm and I, I'm you know I spent a lot of time at PXG and I and I love it and the golf course and so forth. You know I don't see me firing up a new business anytime soon. <laughs> but I've said that before PXG, and I said it you know said it before GoDaddy. Yeah. But you know hey you know something comes in front of you and then then it happens. Is the plan to keep uh, PXG as a company that you operate, or I mean, based on just your past experience, is it something that you think that you will sell off at some point? Well, you're interested in buying it. There's a price for everything. I don't know. Well, you know, it, w- it would be pretty fun to negotiate with you. I'm not going to lie, just for the fuck of it. Well, well, after after, after <laughs> the show, oh, no, oh, no, not online, no, 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 not online, no. Oh, you gotta me. get you gotta get both legal counsels on. You know, let them let them do the dirty work. You and I can go golf, hang out, whatever, you, you and know see what, what happens. The hell, the hell with the legal counsel. <laughs> we'll, we'll sort it out. That's right. That's right. 
Well, Bob, this has been uh, nothing short of fun and, and your story is just so incredible. Just hearing where you started and where you are now, uh, it's it's amazing. And I, I'm, I took a lot from it. I'm sure everyone listening did too. So we can't thank you enough for being here and sharing it with us. And, and we wish you all the best, you know, moving forward. And yeah, this has been a blast. All right. Well, it's my, it's my pleasure. By the way, I want to just start giving myself a little plug. You know, I, I, I just finished writing a book about mm-hmm. how I got to where where I am and uh, a lot of fun and so forth. It's called Fire in the Hole. Talks about the war and psychedelics and, and all that stuff. I finished it on Memorial Day. Nice. So, Amazing. Uh, you know, ought to be published in about five, six months. And um, oh. all the all the proceeds from it will go to a charity called Free Arts for Abused Children. Amazing. Well, we'll make sure we're in touch with your team to uh, talk about it and promote it when it comes out. And maybe we could even do a giveaway to our audience as well uh, to for them to read the book uh, and take something away from it. All right. Sounds good, brother. Sounds good. Take take care of you guys. That you guys are a, are a hoot. I love I love chatting with you. Likewise, and thank you for your service. By the way, I know we didn't mention it during the podcast, but this will be part of the podcast. All right. Okay. Thank you much. Thanks, okay. Bob. Thank Take you, Bob. care, guys.